17. Romans 1, 17. Praise the Lord. Amen. Okay, we're going to be dealing with the guilt of mankind. We're dealing with the bad news. Okay. Paul started out talking about the gospel, the good news, and then after a few verses of introducing that theme, then he goes into the bad news and he will pick up the good news again beginning with chapter 3 and verse 20. But dealing with the bad news so we'll understand as a human race our need for God and just how bad we are. Amen, amen. Alright, verse 17. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith as it is written, the just shall live by faith. <clears throat> For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. And uh, I will just read that verse and pray, and we'll let you sit down, and we will cover as many verses as we can. Father, we come before you right now, and we ask your blessing to be upon the reading of your holy word. Give us inspiration to preach it and to receive it. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated in the name of the Lord. <clears throat> this teaches us in the scripture about the condition of man without Jesus Christ. Verse 18 of chapter 1 through chapter 3 and verse 20 deals with our need for righteousness and our condition before we are saved by the power of God. Amen. So let's look at this in verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. Wrath of God, orge, orga, however you want to say it, pronounce it in Greek. It is his hot displeasure. And uh, when you talk about the wrath of God, you need to understand that the Bible's very clear here. It is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness. So the wrath of God is present and future. It is present and future. And that means this, when you think about the wrath of God or you think about anger, sometimes you think, well, somebody losing it or losing control and getting mad. That is not what we're talking about when it comes to God. It's not like he doesn't have a fit, you know, like, okay, somebody sins and he has a fit. That's not what this is talking about. It is his anger, but it's not like a burst of emotion. It is God's set attribute against sin at all times. Okay? So His attribute against sin never stops. It's constant and continuously. Okay? Coming upon sin. So any kind of sin that is committed, the wrath of God is already there against that sin. 
It's not coming. It's already there. It's His, it's his attribute. It's his, the way He deals with sin. The way He looks at sin. He hates sin. God hates sin. And so His wrath is constantly against it. Now, future wrath is where people will end up who continue to live a lifestyle of sin. And the future wrath of God, of course, is hell or damnation. So you are experiencing the wrath of God in life, and then you experience the wrath of God, future tense, in the lake of fire. So it is a very, very, very destructive power that is in man. Sin, sometimes we think sin, I don't know how we look at it, but uh, maybe we look at it more as an act. Okay, something you do bad. That is true, but it is also a power that enslaves mankind. And it is something that you cannot break free from. You cannot break free from that enslavement on your own. And no matter how good you try to live, you still cannot break free from the power of sin in your life alone. You can know the law of God. You can know right and wrong. But that's not enough to break you from the power of sin. And so the Bible is very clear here the way that God views sin. Now we, as human beings, have a tendency to minimize sin. Now, that's not a big deal. But God, His wrath is continually against sin and He hates sin. And the Bible says, is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness. So number one, this wrath of God against sin, against ungodliness. What is ungodliness? Well, the unregenerate man, the man that is not born again, is a man who is not like God. So when the Bible talks about ungodliness, that means men not being like God. All right? And then the Bible talks about unrighteousness. And we've already declared to you what righteousness is. It means to be in a right standing with God or to have a relationship with God. So unrighteousness then is a man who is not in right standing with the Lord. So men who are not like God and men who are not in right standing with the Lord, not in a right relationship with God. The Bible says that the wrath of God is upon that type of human being constantly. Okay? And then he goes on and he says, who hold the truth in unrighteousness. They hold the truth in unrighteousness. That means when the truth comes to them, they hold it down. They hold the truth in unrighteousness. That doesn't mean they're holding on to it. That means they're pushing it away. Okay? So they're pushing it down. They're pushing it away from them. They're saying, I don't want you, God. I don't want your godliness. I don't want righteousness in my life. I don't want your truth. So they hold it down. They push it down. Okay? Now the Bible goes on and tells us, not only they hold it, hold the truth in unrighteousness, verse 19 tells us why. Because that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has showed it unto them. Now did you catch that? Who's he talking about here? He's talking about the unsaved man. He's talking about the natural man. The man that is not a child of God by the new birth. 
So he says, that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has showed it unto them. Very interesting. What God is saying is this, is that man who is not saved, the unregenerate man, knows God. And how does he know God? He knows God, in this case, without the Scripture. Because the first section here and that we're going to be dealing with concerning the natural man is a man that doesn't have the Bible. But God says they push the truth away. What truth are they pushing away? What, what is it, if they don't have the Scripture, <clears throat> what is it that they're pushing away and they're saying, no, we don't want to know you, God. Well, God goes on and explains that He has revealed Himself to all mankind. Even if they don't have the Word of God, the Bible, He has revealed Himself to all mankind all over the world. Everybody on this planet knows that there's a God. Even if they don't have a Bible. Even if they've never heard anybody preach the Word of God, they know that there is a God. Okay? And so he goes on and explains how all mankind on the earth know God. They know that there's a God. And it's called natural revelation. Say with me, natural revelation. Okay? He goes on and he says this. For the invisible things of Him from the creation of the world are clearly seen being understood by the things that are made, even His eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because that when they knew God, they glorified Him not as God. So God is saying that everybody on the planet knows God. They know there is a God. And the way that they know that there's a God is Natural revelation. Okay? So the man out there that lives somewhere, you know, completely away from everybody who's never heard a preacher, doesn't have the Word of God, has never heard the Gospel preached before, he knows that there's a God. Because he looks up and he sees the stars. He looks around him and he sees... He's walking on a planet. And where did the stars come from? And where did the planet come from that He's living in? And where did the air come from that He's breathing? Where did the water come from that He drinks? Where did the food come from that He eats? And so, even though He's never been preached the Word of God to, or doesn't have the Word of God, natural revelation comes to Him by way of creation. And the Bible says that creation declares... God's eternal power and Godhead. Man can look at the creation of God and he knows that there's only one God. He can tell by looking at the creation that there's one God, one Creator who made everything. His eternal power and Godhead. This one God is a very powerful God. In order for the stars to be in the sky... There to be a planet, there to be water, there to be food, air to breathe. A man knows it didn't just happen. On the inside of him, God put 
a measure of faith. As the book of Romans teaches us. He put a measure of faith in every man. Now, I, I was speaking to somebody in a prison cell one time. Went into, did some jail ministry. And I was speaking to one of the inmates there. And the inmate told me, I don't believe in God. I don't believe there is a God. I said, sir, that is incorrect. Because the Bible says that God has put a measure of faith in every man. So what you're doing is you are denying that there's a God, but you know on the inside of you that there is a God. You can say with your mouth, I don't believe there's a God. I don't believe in God. But on the inside, God put a measure of faith in you. And that, that light, that little light that He put on the inside of you, you know on the inside that there's a God, even though you don't want to know Him, even though you want to reject that. Okay? So God put that measure of faith in everybody. Okay, you with me here? So it doesn't matter where you are in the world. If you've, if you've got the Bible, if you don't have the Bible, as far as knowing about God or knowing there is a God, that comes by natural revelation through creation. There's one God, His eternal power and Godhead is revealed. This one God is very, very powerful. Look at what He created. Look at the vast space and the stars and the globe that you're on. How many of you know when you look at the creation, man, just look at the stars and say, wow, whoever made that must be very powerful. Amen. I mean, right? Without even having the Word of God. You could go up there and look at the heavens and say, man, whoever made that must be very powerful. And not only very powerful, but very wise. Because everything has a symmetry to it. And I won't get into the symmetries, I mean, of creation. But when you study the symmetries of creation, how many rows of corn are on a corn stalk, how many waves come in at a particular time from the ocean, I mean, just the symmetry. It'll blow your mind just studying the symmetry of creation. And so what it shows you is that this God that created everything is a very powerful God, and He's one God, and He's a very wise God because we see His wisdom in creation. So even if you don't have the Bible, even if you've never heard it preached, you are without excuse. Because you can know something about God, and that is by creation. Natural revelation. And not only that, but the Bible says that God put a conscience on the inside of you. Not only did He reveal Himself by this great creation, His eternal power in Godhead, so that we're without excuse, He put a conscience on the inside of you. And that conscience is something on the inside of every human being that tells you right from wrong. Even if you've never heard the Bible preached, if you've never heard the Word of God preached, God puts something inside of every man. And you know inside by conscience, self-awareness, that what you just did was wrong. Or what you just did was right. And you may have never heard one gospel message. You may not have a Bible in your hands. But you knew on the inside that what you did was wrong. You're trying to figure it out. How, how come I feel this way? How do I feel like I did something wrong? Because God put conscience in you. 
So by natural revelation, God revealed Himself that He exists, He's powerful, amen, and He's very wise. And on the inside of every human being, He put a little bit of what I just call light inside and let you know on the inside there's a God. And you can try to run from Him and deny Him and say, I don't believe in Him, but He's still real. And He put that conscience on the inside of you. Right and wrong. That you can know right and wrong. If you don't have the Holy Ghost this morning, you know right and wrong. It's called the conscience. Now sometimes you can't totally go by the conscience because the conscience sometimes is seared with a hot iron. You say, well, my conscience didn't bother me when I did that. Well, it might be because your conscience has been burned up because you've overridden it so many times. and. You know, pretty soon you don't have a conscience anymore and you don't feel bad about anything. But So you can't always go by conscience. But my point right now, what Paul is doing, he is an amazing, amazing man of God. The revelation that God gave this man in the book of Romans is astounding. And so what he's doing, and he's showing you the condition of man, the fallen condition of man, and he's showing you that all men need Jesus Christ as their Savior. He's showing you that all men stand condemned in the presence of God Almighty, even the person who has never heard the gospel before. Somebody asked the question, well, what's going to happen to the people who have never heard the Word of God preached? Are they going to be lost? The answer is yes. But they're not going to be lost because they've never heard the gospel preached. They're going to be lost because they're sinners. You say, how could God condemn mankind that have never heard the gospel? Because it's because we're sinners. And men, even without the gospel preached to them, are still not living up to what they know. They're not living up to the revelation that there is a God. They're not living up to the right and wrong that comes to them by way of their conscience. They're not even living up to the bare minimum. God's not going to judge them because they haven't heard the gospel. God's going to judge them and condemn them by the Word of God that I'm preaching to you this morning because of the sin in their life. It's unfair a man hadn't heard the gospel so he can be saved. The reason he'll be lost is because of sin. Not because he hasn't heard the gospel. Because my point is this, is if man won't live up to the very basic, fundamental things, and that is, God exists. I'm accountable to a God. He made everything. He's powerful. He's one. And He's wise. I'm accountable to Him. And I know right from wrong on the inside, but I still do wrong. You see? Okay, so Paul deals with this. So everybody on the planet Earth today knows that there is a God. But how many people today on planet Earth are willing to even, if they've never heard the Word of God preached, believe that there's only one God, He's powerful and wise, and they have to be accountable to Him, and they have to do what's right and what's wrong. Nobody. Left to themselves will serve God. Okay? That's what Paul is talking about. So verse 21, because that when they knew God. See, they knew God. What did they know? We're not talking about the Gospel. They knew God. They knew God existed. In fact, before the flood, 
Everybody believed in one God. There was a time before the flood that everybody believed in one God. And only after the flood, when man bit the Tower of Babel, they moved away from that apostasy and started believing in worshiping animals. You remember the Tower of Babel? What did Cush do? Cush pushed the truth away. He said, we don't want to know this one God. We don't want to serve this one God. And his son Nimrod said, we're pushing the truth away. We're going to push God away. We don't want to serve God. We want to be our own God. And they started worshiping idols. There was a time when everybody worshipped only one God. But man pushed that truth away or held the truth in unrighteousness. And so God says, when they knew God, verse 21, I want you to catch that. When they knew God, they glorified Him not as God. See, what happened is they knew God and in this case, we're talking about just by basic natural creation that there's a God, they got a conscience. But even then, the Bible says they glorified Him not as God. What the Word of God is telling you today is that knowledge about God is not enough. There are people today who know about God. In fact, everybody in the world knows that there's a God. But just because you know God doesn't mean you're going to worship Him. Did you catch that? Say, well, I know God. You may have come to church, you say, well, I know God. You may have walked through the front doors and they say, I know God. But did you worship Him? That's the key. See, you and I, brothers and sisters, were made to worship God. And, and if we're not worshiping God, we're worshiping something else. I'll say it again. If you're not worshiping God, you're worshiping something else. We can worship ourselves. We can worship our jobs. We can worship our money. We can worship our cars. We can worship our religion. If, you're not, if I'm not worshiping God today, doesn't mean I don't know Him. I know Him. I know there's one God. But does that produce worship in me? Everybody here today, you know God. But are you a worshiper of God? When you came to church today, did you worship God? Did you praise Him? Did you glorify Him? Hallelujah. See, my point is, it's not enough to know God. Are you a worshiper of God? The Bible says, because when they knew God, they glorified Him not as God, but became vain. In their imaginations. So look at it. Neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. So here's the progression. God revealed Himself by natural ways, the creation by conscience. Man knew that there was a God, but he said, I'm not going to worship and serve this God. And so the next step when a person stops worshiping God is this. You stop being thankful, you get distorted in your thinking. The next step from not worshiping God or glorifying God 
is distorted thinking. Ooh, this is heavy. And this is one of them things you got to think about when you when you preach. I can't just get you in the emotional realm. You got to think about what's being said by the apostle. All right? So you can know God, but if you don't worship him or glorify him as God, if you're not thankful today, then the next step downward is your mind will become distorted. That is why it's so important for us just in a practical way. When we come to the house of God, not just to know God, but to glorify Him and to say, thank you, Jesus. And be thankful in our hearts because once the worship goes and the thankfulness goes, that's when your mind starts getting really messed up. You start getting distorted thinking. Hallelujah. And I've seen it happen, and I'm not judging, but I'm just saying I've seen it happen. People sitting in the pews. As long as they're worshiping God, their mind's you know, on track for the most part. But when they start sitting in that pew, and they stop responding to God and worshiping God, and they're no longer thankful, I promise you, the next step is they start thinking crazy. You will become distorted in your brain. And after that, the Bible says, here comes the darkness. Foolish, their foolish, foolish heart was darkened. So it's the downward progression. And again, we're not even at this point preaching, talking about people who have the Bible preached to them. We're not even talking about people like that. We're talking about people in the world. Who when God revealed Himself in natural creation, they refused to glorify Him. Right? Refused to worship this God. Refused to be thankful. Thank you, Lord. And so from there, then their mind became distorted. And then all of a sudden, the darkness came into their soul. Hallelujah. And brothers and sisters, that darkness is so real that you can see it on the face. I can show you by the Word of God. You can see the darkness of the soul on a person's face. They're no longer radiating with the glory of God. Their countenance is fallen. Amen. It's a real, real thing you can see. So that downward progression. Listen, we're talking about everybody in the world today. Everybody. Downward progression. Knows that there's one God. Know He's powerful. And know He's a wise God. But they refuse to worship that one God. You say, well, they're worshiping God their way. They're through idols. No. Do you know that every false religion is man's attempt to run from God? Every false religion today is man saying, we don't want you, God. We want to do it our way. People say, well, let's get together and let's compare religions. Let's compare Hinduism with Christianity. Let's compare Buddhism with Christianity. Uh, no, there are no comparative religions to Christianity. Because the so-called religions of man are just that. The religions of man. And it's man's attempt to get away from being accountable to this one God. Setting up their own way of worship. You with me here today? Okay. So that's the condition as of man as a whole everywhere on the planet. 
On judgment day, he'll never be able to say, he might, he, he might be able to say, I don't have the gospel preached to me. He might say, I never had a Bible. That might be true. But when he stands before God, he can never say, I didn't even know you existed. And God's going to preach to him the book of Romans and tell him, oh yes, I revealed myself through natural creation. My eternal power and Godhead was revealed to you by the creation of the world. And you know by the conscience I put inside of you that I existed, but you didn't glorify me. And you were not thankful. Amen. You became vain in your imagination. And that deterioration of mind led to darkness. So the Bible says they are without excuse. No excuse. Amen. Verse 22. Professing themselves to be wise. You know, y'all know that term. Y'all heard this term, sophomore. Sophomore. You know what sophomores are? Wise morons. The Greek word Sophia, wisdom, moron. Sophomore is a wise moron. Okay? So don't walk around and you know, say, well, I'm a sophomore now. Well, don't, don't be too excited about that. You're just saying you're a wise moron. You know how it is. Most of us have kids, right? Teenagers. Isn't it amazing how stupid we parents are when our kids become teenagers? Right? Well, it, I just the way I respond to that is you're just a sophomore. You're a wise moron. You think you're smart, but you're not. <clears throat> Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. See, I, I, we we smart. Well, I'm I'm smart. I'm wise. I I'm smarter than God. They think they can outsmart God. And God said in that profession of wisdom that they have, it's a false wisdom. They became fools. How is that? They rejected the true God, and they set up counterfeits. Oh, we got a better way. We want to do it our way. We want to, we want to set up our own way, our own religion. We want to set up our own terms. We're so smart. We don't need God. Amen. Think about a man by the name of Cain. There was a time when Cain knew God. And there was a time when God told him, this is the way you're to worship me. This is the way you're to come before me. You bring your blood sacrifice. And Cain said, no, I don't want that truth. I push that down. I want to go to God my way. And so he went and he picked some fruit of the ground and he offered it to God. His offering was rejected. And the Bible says, he went out from the presence of the Lord. Because Cain is a perfect example of somebody who knew God, but because he thought he was so smart, he could do it a different way. 
And he was removed from the presence of God as a result of that. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. The fools say, no, God. The fools say, I'm going to do it my way, God. I don't care what you say, God. I'm going to do it my way. I'm going to have it my way. So I'm smart. I'm smarter than the pastor. I'm smarter than the preacher. I'm smarter than the Word of God. I'm smarter than God. I'm smarter than anybody. I'm going to get away with this. Nobody ever has. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. And a fool has said in his heart, No, God, I'm not going to do it your way. I'm going to do it my way. Verse 23 tells us the results. They changed the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image. Now I told you we're talking about the bad news first. This is bad news. Change the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like to corruptible men and to birds and four-footed beasts and creeping things. So they said, we don't want to worship God. We, we just exchange God with idols. We'll set up our own idols and we'll start worshiping His creation. When brothers and sisters have already read it to you, the creation is supposed to teach you about God. The creation is supposed to point you to God. But they said, no, we want to worship the creation. So they got into idolatry. And once again, I tell you, the counterfeit worship of man is nothing but man running from God. It's, there's no such thing as comparative religion. It's man saying, no, we don't want you, God, so we're going to set up our own way. So they moved into idolatry. Verse 24, Wherefore God also gave them up. He says this two times. God gave them up. And then He said God gave them over. So three times God talks about giving up. Three times He talks about it. Two times God gave them up. One time God gave them over. And we'll, talk, we'll show you that in just a moment. What does that mean? God gave them up. This is heavy. It literally means God lifted His hands off of them. What, what, what God is saying is this. He's saying to mankind, it says, if you want to go down the path of sin, He said, I'm going to let you do it. I'm going to take my hands off of your life and I'm going to let you go down the path of sin. But God says, remember, if you make that choice to go down the path of sin and I let you go, Remember, judgment's coming. Consequences coming. God gave them up. He lifted His hands off of them. That means at one point, God had them in His grip. And they kept pulling away from God. So we don't want to serve you, God. They pulled away from God. And God was trying to hold on to them. They pulled away from God. God holding on to them with His grip. Pulled away from God. And God says, okay. I release my grip off of your life. And you can have your freedom. 
and you can go down that path of sin. And I will confirm you in that path of sin. And then my judgment will come on you. Man, it is a serious thing for a person who knows God to stop glorifying God, glorifying Him as God, and stop being thankful and becoming vain in their imaginations and their foolish heart is darkened and then go from there into idolatry. You see, this is the path that man wants to take. He wants to be free from being accountable to God. And if you keep going that way in your life, with your life, thinking you are so wise and so smart, at some point God will say, go ahead and have it your way. And He will take the grip off of your life and He will let you go. The Bible says, talking about Pharaoh in the Old Testament, that when Moses came and brought the will of God to him, the Bible says, Pharaoh hardened his heart. And then finally the Scripture says, God hardened Pharaoh's heart. Do you know what that means? Come here, brother, would you please? You harden your heart against God's will in your life. You say no to God. And then the Bible says God will harden your heart. That means He'll push you in the wrong, like this. It says that's okay, look, let me show you. Come here, brother. So you want to go your way? You're going your way today? You're going your way today? And God says, okay, I'll help you go your way. Bye. I will take my hand off of your life. And you will get the freedom that you want. And you can go out and you can do it like you want to do it. He'll let you go. And that's the most horrible thing. You, you talk about the judgment of God that's going to come upon the ungodly. The wrath of God, the bowls of wrath and things that are coming. You look at that you go, oh, that's going to be horrible. The worst thing that God could ever do as far as His wrath the greatest manifestation of God's judgment on your life is when God lifts His hands off you and says, go ahead and do it your way. If He ever takes His grip off of your life and lets you go in your resistance to Him and your desire to be free of Him, if He ever does, that's the worst judgment that any human being can ever experience. And I'm not sure exactly in each individual, Brother Jared, when that is. I don't know when that would be in my life. I don't know when that is in your life. But if you are persistent in doing it your way, you're persistent in being free, if you're persistent to live in sin, at some point God will say, I'll help you along. I'll take my hands off of you. And go ahead. I want to stay as far away from that line as I possibly can. And the good news is the longer that you live for the Lord and the longer you walk with God, see, let's just put a line here. This is sin right here. This is the world. This is where you were. You were fixing to drop into hell. And you became a born-again believer and you stepped away, you stepped out of that old life and stepped out of, away from that line. And the longer you live for God, 
the further you get from where you came out. And it's a lot harder for the devil to get you every year, every day that you live for God, it's harder for the devil to get you back to that place. Because you're taking, every day you're taking a step, so to speak spiritually, further and further away from the place that God found you. Amen? That doesn't mean you can't go back. But it's a lot harder for the devil to get you back if you live for God for a while. But if you just recently came out, man, you know the devil's going to be pulling on you. The world's going to be pulling on you. Temptation's going to be pulling on you. That old life's going to be pulling on you to pull you back. You just keep living for the Lord. You keep glorifying Him. You keep being thankful. You keep worshiping Him. You serve Him. And the longer you live for Him, the harder it is for the devil to get you. But you know what? We can also take steps away from God. And every step you take away from God, every day that you live away from Him, every, every decision that you make that takes you away from God, you keep piling all those decisions and choices up and time over you know, days and months and years and pretty soon, you'll be so far away from God You'll have no desire for Him. And God will say, go ahead. He gave them up to uncleanness through the lust of their own heart to dishonor their bodies between themselves. Amen? Amen? See what Paul is doing? He's showing you humanity in the wrath of God. And he's showing you step by step people that go deeper and deeper into the wrath of God. Step by step. And when he gets to this point, he says, they give themselves up to uncleanness. These are people in the wrath of God. through the lusts of their own heart, to dishonor their own bodies between themselves. Who changed the truth of God into a lie and worshiped and served the creature more than the Creator who is blessed forever. Amen. All kind of sexual immorality begins to break out in those people's lives. A major marker a major mark of difference from people in the world and people in the church is that people in the world live a life of fornication. People in the church live a life of holiness. And people who, who, can, who will live a life of unbridled lust, it's a manifestation that they have walked away from God. It's a manifestation that they go deeper and deeper into the wrath of God. The idolatry. And in the idolatry comes the sexual immorality. And you know the history, brothers and sisters, of people who walked away from God and set up idolatry. What was connected to idolatry was temple prostitution. 
The men would go to the temples of these idols and have sexual relationships with the temple prostitutes that were there. And some of these temples, they had men prostitutes. And men would go have relationships with men. They would have also women prostitutes and women would go have relationships with women. Idolatry, one of the major points of idolatry is the sexual immorality that was connected to it. And God is showing you that these people who live this way are in the wrath of God. Verse 26. For this cause God gave them up to vile affections. The second time He says it. God gave them up to vile affections. For even their women did change the natural use into that which is against nature. And likewise also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burning their lust one toward another, men with men, working that which is unseemly, and receiving in themselves that recompense of their error which was meet. God says a characteristics of somebody who is away from God is somebody who is involved in homosexual relationships. Now we're as a church, we're in a time when we are being bombarded and when you talk about the Word of God, you'll be surprised probably not surprised, but some preachers and teachers of the Word of God will explain away homosexuality as just, as just another way of life. They call it an alternative lifestyle. And they will take passages like this and they'll, they'll twist it and, and explain it away. And, you know, and they'll say, well, it's just, that's just how they are. That's just who they are. And you know, no big deal. It's not natural. Like the Bible says, it's not natural, but you know that's who they are. And we're just going to accept them that way. But the Bible is very clear here in this passage, 1 Corinthians chapter 9. I believe it's 1 Timothy 1.10. And throughout the Old Testament, it deals with homosexuality. It is not the will of God. For anybody to be homosexual. Now, let me just say this to you first. There are people who are away from God and they're living either in idolatry or sexual promiscuity or even now homosexuality. Our response to them is this we are to reach out to them in love. We are to try to help them in the sense that we want to bring them out of that lifestyle. We are a people with the Gospel and that Gospel can save anybody. Okay? It, can, it is the power of God into salvation. It can save anybody. Okay? I love the person. I don't love the sin. Amen? The practice of homosexuality is a very despicable practice. But we still are called by God 
to love the person and try to do everything we can to call them out of that lifestyle and to tell them God can forgive you if you'll repent. First Corinthians 6, 9 through 11, he talks about, Paul talks about people. He said, and such were some of you. And what were the some of you? All kinds of sexual sin, including homosexuality. Is recorded in those verses. He says, As such were some of you, but you're washed, you're sanctified, you're justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. God can save you. Are you hear what I'm telling you today? But what God is saying is, now, don't, don't go the other extreme and pat them on the back and say, well, it's okay, we love you anyway. We do love you, but we love you enough to say what you're doing is wrong. <laughs> and we love you enough to not leave you in your sin. That means we're not going to support it. We're going to call you out of it. Because the lifestyle of homosexuality is a lifestyle that is away from God. People who, are, who practice homosexuality, brothers and sisters, right now are in the wrath of God. It's not going to come. They're already in it. And the gospel that we preach is so powerful, it can save even somebody that's that deep in the wrath of God. So from Paul's perspective, homosexuality is a sin. From Paul's perspective, it brings the wrath of God upon the person. From Paul's perspective, this is the way people live who are in the wrath of God. From Paul's perspective, this is the lifestyle of someone who has walked away from So he explains, he says, For this cause God gave them up to vile affections, for even their women did change the natural use into that which is against nature. The natural use. Women are women. Men are men. God created a man to be a man. He created a woman to be a woman. In in God's natural creation, there's no such thing as transgender. God didn't make transgenders. God made a man and God made a woman. And as somebody who wants to get into transgender stuff, again, that's the manifestation of people who are away from the truth of God, who are in the wrath of God. Man, yesterday... You know, I went to the store with my wife and daughter and Jeremiah. Went to it was Coles over in Midland, and I needed to use the restroom. So I asked my daughter, I "said Where's the restroom?" And or Jeremiah, he led me to the restroom. He pointed there it was. He pointed to the door, and I walked over there. Well, you know, it had a male and a female on the door. So I walked into that restroom, and I used the restroom. And while I was in there, somebody trying to get in there. And I walked out and I looked to my right hand and there was the men's restroom. And, and I looked to my left hand 
And there was the women's restroom. I had gone into their, what they call their transgender restroom. Hallelujah. <laughs> That's what old people do. They don't have a clue, man. Hallelujah. After it dawned on me what I had done, I just looked at the person standing there, you know, that worked there. I said, how you doing? <laughs> Man, anymore, you got to be careful which door you walk through, man. Hallelujah. <laughs> I went back, I told my family, I said, man, this is one of them stores. I said, man, you got to be careful these days well, what door you walk through. <laughs> Hallelujah. That's what happens. I had a, a good pastor friend, an older friend, going on to be with the Lord. He walked into a women's bathroom. And he he went in, did his business, used the restroom, did his business. He walked up to the mirror and, you know, washed his hands, combed his hair. And all of a sudden, he looked over here. And there was a woman putting lipstick on. And she didn't have no problem with him being in there. I just, I never did forget that, you know. I said, well, hallelujah, Brother Dice, if you were still alive today, I got one on you. I walked into the transgender bathroom. Thank God it was only one stall, though. Thank God when I locked the door, it was me and myself and I, and that's it. Praise the Lord. You know, they're trying to fit in to be politically correct, I guess. I don't know. But anyway. Yeah, I mean, you know, because when we were on Brazos, had that little church over on Brazos, we had one of them restrooms that was for men and women, you know. The only bathroom we had straight out of the sanctuary. So we just made it for both men and women. We did have another one that was way up in the front. So, you know, so for me it's no big deal to see a bathroom for both, but they don't mean it that way. If you got a bathroom for the men and a bathroom for the women, and you got another bathroom, the other bathroom's for somewhere in between. And that's right where they put it, man. They put it right in between the two. Somewhere in between. Now, y'all don't tell anybody I told you that. Y'all don't tell anybody. But see, God, naturally, God made a woman to be a, a woman and a man to be a man. And God just naturally tells you heterosexual relationships is the way He created everybody. This is the, this, brothers and sisters, what God is saying, this is the way I made everything. I made the creation to be heterosexual. And when you get a man together with a man or a woman together with a woman, He said, you're going against the natural creation of God. You're going against the way that God created everything to be. It's not natural to do that. It's not natural to not be heterosexual. It's unnatural to be homosexual. But they say, well, don't they have another term for, for women? No, homosexual means sexual relationships with somebody of the same sex or gender. 
It don't matter if it's male or female. And sometimes the term lesbianism is used for the woman. But it's still homosexuality. Come on, man. Now, I know, you know, the pressure's on the church. But this is what the Bible says. The pressure's on the church to accept it. No, we can't. Because God doesn't accept it. But we're still going to love you. And we're going to tell you God can deliver you. And you, you need to get out of that lifestyle because that's not natural. That's not the way God made things. You, hallelujah. Give God some praise. Hallelujah. He made Adam and Eve, not Adam and Steve. Somebody said praise the Lord. Now, let me just tell you something, brother. Something has happened on the inside of an individual if they can look at the same gender and be attracted to them sexually. Are you here? Man. It's not natural. So what God is saying is, He said, this is the result of somebody who wanted their freedom, who thought they were smarter than God, who wanted their own way, who wanted the path of sin. And God said, okay, I'll give you up to that. Go ahead. Have your way. And it leads to all kinds of unnatural relationships. Amen. That's the Bible. And I'm not preaching it mean-spirited. I love people, man. I, I, I'll talk to you. If you're in that lifestyle, I'll talk to you. Tell you, God can deliver you. God can bring you out of that. Leave with all my heart. So God, can God forgive that? Yes, He can. He forgave you, didn't He? What were you in? Amen? What were you in? Sin is sin. But homosexuality is, it starts moving down the line, it gets close. Brothers and sisters, it's getting close to reprobation. It's not reprobation yet. A person can still be saved. But it's getting real, real close to reprobation. Now let's talk about it. Hallelujah. So let me just say this to you, brothers and sisters. You, I know I don't have to tell you. At some point, every one of you, every one of you are going to rub shoulders with somebody that's in that lifestyle. And you can look at it and say, the Lord Jesus Christ loves you and He died for you and He wants to bring you out of that lifestyle and He wants to forgive you of that sin and give you a brand new life. Hallelujah. You don't have to be mean-spirited. Right? Verse 27, Likewise, also the men leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lusts one toward another, men with men working that which is unseemly, and receiving in themselves that recompense of their error which was meat. They're going to reap. They're going to reap. <clears throat> I'm staying on this particular area right here for a reason because the church is really challenged right now in this area. I'm talking about the church as a whole. What to do with it, how to handle it. You stick with the Bible. 
And you call them out of it. And you tell them God can save them. That's what you do. But you also tell them if they stay in it, they're in the wrath of God. Deep in the wrath of God. Alright? Amen? Now, receiving in themselves the recompense of their which was meet. Do you know what? People that are in that lifestyle are suicidal. They're not, they're not fulfilled. They're suicidal, many of them. Okay? Have a lot of struggles in life. Not to mention the, the reaping of sexually transmitted disease. That's a result of that lifestyle. You know? But it's not just homosexuality. I was told by somebody who works for a doctor in this town that the Odessa-Midland area is at the top of the list for STDs. Sexually transmitted disease. Promiscuity in Odessa-Midland area is heavy. You know? And what do you have? You have people bragging. I've been with a hundred women. I heard somebody say that the other day. I've been with a hundred women. I told my, I looked at my wife. I said, he's full of venereal disease too. Ain't no way you can be with a hundred women. Because those women, the women you, woman you was with, she'd probably been with a hundred men. And so you had a relationship with her. Do you do you, let me just say it to the, to you like this is going to blow your mind. You can't have a sexual relationship with somebody without having a sexual relationship with the partner they had before you. What I mean by that is if you're the hundredth woman on the list, that means the ninety and nine he had a sexual relationship with, if they were carrying. When he had a sexual relationship with you, he transferred them into you. And even if, if you don't have a sexual disease, I'm going to say it again. You cannot have a sexual relationship with a partner who's had multiple relationships with other people without having sex with all of those other partners. Not literally, but that's the truth. That's why I tell young people, you know, they, they start getting a desire to be married. Thank God, man, they come in there, girl and boy, or young man, young woman. Thank God they ain't walking in there with the man in hand. Hey, Pastor. Now, you know better. You're in the church. You know, so we're not going to be too lovey-dovey with you. We're going to hit you over the head. But anyway, I always tell those young young couples that are coming to me and say, Pastor, you know, we're old enough now and we like each other. And I always tell them, I said, all right. So, but you better be very careful about the progression in your relationship because if you get to the point where you give in and have sex with that person and you're not married to them and that relationship breaks up, you had sex with another man's woman or sex with another woman's man. 
And there's no guarantee that you're going to stand in that altar and say, I do. So you, you have to maintain each other's purity because if it doesn't work, they're going to get married to somebody else, but they won't be a virgin when they do. Amen? And the strongest temptation that you'll ever overcome, stronger than addiction, stronger than the Word of God, in cases sometimes stronger than the Holy Ghost in you, is that sexual desire you have. Very strong. So when I got God, I got the Bible in my hand, I got God, I've got the Holy Ghost, I won't give in. You get in the wrong place. You get by yourself. Even if you've got the Holy Ghost, even if you've got the Word of God, people fail. Because it's that strong. So there's re- there is a reaping that comes. This reaping, whether it be sexually transmitted disease, suicidal tendencies, emotional problems, all kinds of things. Sin. The wages of sin is death. It doesn't produce life. It produces death. And all of a sudden, man, you know, come on, I'm trying to help you. I'm not preaching down to you. I'm trying to help you. Brothers and sisters, it's, it's like a spider's web. You put your finger in that thing and all of a sudden it's just all... And then now you try to get out. Get, and before you know it, you got it from head to toe, man. And all it started with was just a little bit of a spider web. Now you're just entangled with a thing as you're trying to break free from it. And that's the way sin is. You probably just touch it just a little bit. Just, just don't, you know, you won't go too far. Just touch it. But it's like a spider web. Pretty soon you'll be just, and then you're going to be trying to break loose from it. That's what sin does to all of us. It makes a prisoner out of you. Somebody said amen. Amen. And so there's a reaping that comes. All right. You come to church, you won't have power. You won't have victory. Guilt and condemnation. At this point, a person can still be saved. At this point, God can still save the person. That's the good news. But here's the point, brothers and sisters. We have to keep preaching the gospel and we preach the gospel and we pray to God that we stop that downward progression that we see in these verses before it gets to the final downward progression called reprobation. Because as I said, even though these sins are really, you know, what they are, God can still save them. But the deeper you go into the wrath of God, the deeper you go into sin, the closer you get to what is called reprobation. Let's look at it. Verse 28, And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, we don't want to know God. God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient. The next step from homosexuality is reprobation. To keep it simple so you'll understand what reprobation is, it's the most serious 
drop that a person can ever experience in their life. Reprobation means you have been prejudged to go to hell. That means that you won't be saved and you're going to live out the rest of your days on this planet with no possibility of being saved. What that is, is God said you cross the line in a final way. And it's not that God is not powerful enough. It's not that God is not merciful enough. Is The problem is you've gone so far away from God, you let the possibility die inside of you. You will never want to know God. Never want to know God. There's no gospel message. There's no preacher powerful enough. God can stand and look at you Himself face to face. He can send angels to your life. But if you keep going in that progression, you become a reprobate. God looking you in the face, you still won't come to Him. Because you've allowed yourself to die. And it's not just the outward tree that's withered, but the root has died. When you define the word reprobate, that means coins that are underweight. They don't meet the test. Coins that don't meet the weight. Reprobate means metal that's too full of dross. Tin. The metal doesn't measure up. Okay? So a reprobate then is somebody who doesn't meet the standard. They, they've crossed the line. They don't meet the test. And a reprobate by the Word of God will never be saved. They said no to God so many times. They rejected Him so many times. He reached out to them and reached out to them and they said no to God so many times. And at some point, God gave them over. He doesn't say He gave them up now. He says He gave them over to a reprobate mind. Their judgment is sealed before they ever go into hell. Brothers and sisters, I, as your pastor, I have never met a reprobate. I have met people that were really close but I have never met a reprobate. I've met people whose conscience were seared with a hot iron. I've met people whose lives were deep in sin, but I have never met a reprobate. But I've heard about preachers that preached and reprobates were in their service. And one young woman, pastor I listened to a tape years ago, he talked about a young woman Jesus' name filled with the Holy Ghost backslid out of the church and, and started going to the bar scene and went from one bar to another bar to another bar. And she'd step into that bar and God saved. His conviction would come on her. She could feel God talking to her. She could hear God talking to her. She stepped into that bar and God dealt with her the whole time she was there. 
And she said, one night, I went to another bar. And God spoke to me. He says, if you go in here, you'll never feel my presence ever again. She said she stepped foot anyway. She went into that bar and she said as soon as she did, she, she said in her own testimony, she said, I felt something die on the inside of me. She went to church. The altar call was given. She went to church and she cried and she cried and she cried. Seeking repentance. Seeking somehow to be right with God. And she screamed. That pastor said, I heard her scream. He said, I've never heard anybody scream like that in my life. She said, I can't feel God anymore. That's a reprobate. in the line. And God the whole time warning, reaching out, telling her. She did it. And the Spirit of God left her. She never felt God again. That's why it's important. And I thank God for every one of you who come to church this morning. When I preach the Word of God to you, You can still feel God. God drew you by His Spirit here. You can still feel God. You can still hear God talking to you. You still have a desire to be saved. You still want to know God. I thank God no matter, and I'm not condoning a messed up life, but I want to tell you this. I thank God no matter how messed up your life is, if somehow you have enough of God to get back to that pure. You have enough of God to lift your hands when the church is worshiping. You have enough of God to get in a prayer room somewhere. You have enough of God to respond to the Word of God and the presence of God. God does not leave a person quickly when they backslide. If He did, they would have no chance of ever being saved. He may deal with them for years. Years, man. Before they cross that line. And you need to remember it's them that crossed the line. It was them that made the decision to go deeper and deeper into the wrath of God. And God was the whole time trying to save them. But He says, okay, there's nothing else I can do for you. I've done everything I can. I lift my hands. I take my grip off of you. And I'm going to let you go into the eternity that you've chosen. I thank God I have never, never met a reprobate. You're here today. God loves you. 
God can save you. We've all come short of the glory of God, every one of us. God can save you. I feel the Holy Ghost. Gave him over to reprobate. Mind. Being filled with all unrighteousness, fornication, wickedness, covetousness, malicious, full of envy, murder, debate, deceit, malignity, whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, despiteful, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, without understanding, covenant breakers, without natural affection, implacable, which means unforgiving, unmerciful, who knowing the judgment of God that they which commit such things are worthy of death, not only do the same, but have pleasure in them that do them. We just list the sins one right after another, people deep in the wrath of God. You might have been surprised to, to read some of those things are deep in the wrath of God. You probably knew inappropriate sexual relationships were deep in the wrath of God. You probably knew that. You probably knew idolatry was deep in the wrath of God. You probably knew But what you didn't know is that being covetousness and unrighteous and wicked and being full of envy or jealousy, haters of men, haters of God, full of debate and deceit. Malignity whisperers. Whisperers, cowardly sneaks who will not say things to the face. People who talk, whisper talk. And then you have further from that, you have backbiters. Backbiters are people who seek to destroy the reputations of good people. They take it a step further than whispering. Haters of God, despiteful, proud. You didn't know to be prideful was in the wrath of God, did you? To be arrogant, prideful. Deep in the wrath of God. Boasters. A boaster is an empty pretender. Inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, without understanding, covenant breakers. They don't keep their word. Without natural affection. In some cases don't even love their own children. Whisperers. 
without understanding, dishonor God, they dishonor themselves. Implacable, unforgiving, unmerciful. Who knowing the judgment of God that they which commit such things are worthy of death not only do the same, but have pleasure in them that do it. And that's the sad part. Is that not only are these people God-haters and people-haters, you have to be very careful. You allow your spirit to get full of hate towards people. You're in the wrath of God. God haters, people haters, but that final one really shows you how far they've gone. Is that they literally begin to encourage people who are in the wrath of God. They encourage them to stay in the wrath of God. That means that they're actively involved in trying to seduce other people out of the will of God for their life. They literally encourage people in the wrath of God. This is the result. Results of God's wrath. The Spirit of the Lord has been moving in this service this morning. And I am going to do something that I feel led to God this morning. And this is not for me. It's not a show. If nobody comes, it's not my problem. But I know that the Spirit of God has been moving in this service. And I'm going to open these altars, spiritual altars, for you to come and stand in the presence of God. And I can tell you that the gospel of God is so powerful. It has the ability to save you no matter what the depth of your sin is, no matter how deep you are in God's wrath. God's here today to help you. And you just tell Him, God, I'm sorry, God. Lord Jesus, I stand before you today and I've come here many times and, and I've said over and over and over the, said the same thing, God. I've said over and over and over. I've said over and over and over, God, if you'll forgive me, I won't do it again. Lord, I need the power of your Spirit. I need the power of the Gospel, the good news to come into my life. Give me power and strength, God, to overcome sin. I stand in your presence right now, God. I, I desire to clean my life up. I desire, Father, for you to come into my life to deliver me and to set me free from these chains. Lord, I've had evil thoughts. I've, I've, had evil, I've said evil words. I've done evil things. I confess them to you. I ask you to cleanse me with your blood. Make me feel clean and good on the inside. I open up my heart, God. I invite Your Spirit to come, in, come into my soul. Right now, Lord, I accept the Holy Ghost. 
fill me with your spirit, God. Save me out of your wrath. Deliver me, Lord, from evil. God, I worship You. I thank You today. God, renew my mind. Cleanse my mind with Your blood. Renew my mind. I change my mind, God, today. Heal my mind of distorted thinking. Let the light come on in the midst of the darkness. I worship You, Lord, in spirit and in truth. I seek to live, God, the way that You made me as a human being to live. I am without excuse. for your mercy and grace God I thank you for the blood of Jesus I plead the blood of Jesus thank you for the cross thank you for Calvary hallelujah thank you Jesus hallelujah brother Jonathan begin to just go out and begin to pray with people brother Joseph brother Timothy can you go out there and begin to pray with them just lay your hands on their head brother amen just begin to pray hallelujah Father God today I thank you for this precious young woman of God thank you Jesus today for her life God Thank you for your presence upon her, God, in your name, Jesus. Your precious blood, your precious blood, your precious blood, your precious blood. Precious blood, precious blood. God, I plead the blood of Jesus right now over my brother. I plead the blood of Jesus. Touch Fino, God, touch Fino. Hallelujah. Brother Michael, God, today I plead your blood over him, Jesus. Sister, right now, God, plead your blood over her mind, over her spirit, over her soul, right now. Your mighty name, Jesus. Sister Kathy. Hallelujah. God, Brother Jared, God, touch Brother Jared, my sisters today. Hallelujah. Brother Anthony today, God, plead your blood, Jesus. I plead your blood. Soul is standing here this morning, God. Father God, forgive us for the pride. Forgive us for the backbiting. Forgive us for being haters of men.
fill us, God, with your Spirit. Let us walk in your Spirit, Lord God, in a way that manifests you. Jesus' name. Jesus' name. Praise God. Good to see you again, man. So good to see you again, man. God bless you, Jesus. Just thank you. Thank you for bringing this, this gentleman, God, back to the house. Father God, he has not gone too far. God, hallelujah, you're mighty. You're mighty to save. Jesus. Lord, you're able to put all the pieces back together. All the destruction and devastation. You're able to break, Father, every chain in his life. I, I plead your blood to the top of his head to the soles of his feet right now. I call upon your spirit, Lord Jesus God, to move in, in and through him. Thank you, Father, touching his heart. Thank you today. Be your name, Jesus. All you have to do is call upon the name of the Lord. Just say Jesus. Just say Jesus. Jesus, forgive me. Jesus, forgive me. Jesus, set me free. I can't set myself free. Jesus, set me free. By your precious blood. In the name of Jesus. God, renew me in your spirit. Fill me, Lord. Fill me, Lord, with your spirit. Hallelujah. In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus.